It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. We're getting you ready for the game on The Build-Up with news from around the league, interviews, highlights, and more. Here's your host, Ted Ramey. All right, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome. We have some big news out of this morning's morning skate, and that is that Logan Couture was out there on the ice skating with the Sharks. He actually said that at one point during his setback, he thought that he might never play again. Now, we don't have a whole lot of detail on this situation, but the fact that he's out there skating without a timeline granted, but the fact that he's out there hopefully getting ready to return at some point, uh, I'm happy to see it because we all know how much Logan Couture means to this franchise, to the fan base, to everyone, to the sport of hockey. The guy is such an incredible competitor. I hate the idea of thinking of him thinking his career might be over, um, but obviously we don't know the whole details of the injury and the issue right now, so that's one to watch as we continue going forward. Right now, though, we are going to do some CUDA talk. We are now joined by Nick Nolenberger, the voice of the San Jose Barracuda, coming off the uh, TV broadcast the other night for the CUDA on NBC Sports California. Big time Noli, as we call him around here. Nick, what's going on, man? How are you doing? What's happening, Ted? Thank you for having me, as always. Yeah, I've been getting a lot of grief from our, our athletic trainers and our equipment managers managers this year between us getting some TV games and me helping out a little bit with the, the telecast pre and post. Uh, yeah, they've been giving me a lot of grief. So um, all in good fun. But yeah, um, good to get the, the product on TV. This was a big time goal for us for a long period of time. So yeah, big moment for myself, but more so for the organization just being able to spread our team and the awareness of our brand and um, small step, but uh, hopefully, you know, the first of many uh, in the direction that we hope to go with this, with this franchise. Yeah. 100% man. And I, I love that the Barracuda are giving the attention that they deserve. And that's a great building. I am now lucky enough to say I have called a game in that building and uh, your vantage point versus my previous AHL experience inside SAP center uh, that's about as good as a place you can call a game of hockey, man. Like you're you're right on top of the action. Now here here's my big question for you though, and we'll nerd out on broadcasting real quick. Would you say when you're calling the regular games that you're doing more TV or radio style? Because it's hard in hockey; they're so so close. And did you change it at all for the TV broadcast the other night? That is a great question. I think consciously I tried to change it a little bit, maybe talking uh, a little less. Um, at the same time, we're on the audio network as well, so I didn't want to leave any listening, uh, you know, I guess not viewers, but but listeners uh, hanging, if you will, in terms right. of score and, and location where the puck was. So it was definitely in my mind to pull back a little bit, uh, but then I didn't want to pull back too much. Um, so it, it's it's certainly a balance, as you know. It's a different uh, it's a different medium uh, with television and, and radio and. Um, yeah, I did notice myself. Should I pull back a little? I thought about it. Um, and then at the, the end of the day, you just try to call the game for the most part the way you normally do. So things don't sound too different. But um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Cool experience. You know, I've listened to a lot of guys. There's some NHL guys. Dallas uh, is the one that comes to mind. Even Carolina. They do not have a radio broadcast. So they simulcast. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of a rarity. But I try to listen to those guys and how they do it. Because 
We have a AHL TV, which is a quote-unquote TV broadcast that's online. And then we have our radio broadcast that we always have. So I, I try to fall in line with that, but it's, it is a balancing act for sure. The thing about hockey, though, is I would say that across the board, the TV is closer to radio than any other sport just because there's always so much happening. I mean, you can sit back in b- basketball and baseball and football to an extent, and same thing with soccer. You can really sit back, but hockey doesn't really allow for that the same way. No, it, it doesn't. And I guess that's the good thing, right? Even if you're listening to a game, you're watching the game, you've got to provide detail and, and you know, location of the puck, even on television. So, um, you know, many think Doc Emmerich is one of the greats to do it. And I would say Doc probably calls the game more like he's on the radio than on television. So yeah. um, there's no perfect science to it. I think we're all figuring it out as, as we go along. But um, it was definitely something I thought about, though. Uh, not trying to overspeak or overtalk just because you do have a, a viewing audience who's watching the game. Um, so you don't have to describe everything at the same time. Again, you, you want to provide some of that color and, and some of that detail. So um, yeah, we are certainly getting in our broadcasting minutia uh, of, uh, <laughs> you know, details that maybe other folks um, don't think about or care too much about, but for us broadcasting uh, guys, that's certainly something that goes through our mind when we're calling, whether it's on TV or on the radio. And just to confirm, the next one is on January 9th that's going to be on NBC Sports California? Yeah, yeah, exactly. January 9th. So we'll have two more coming up. I believe Scott Hannon will be joining me again for that one. And then Drew Amenda will uh, have the call on the final one, which I believe off the top of my head is January 26th. So we'll have a couple in the month of January um, to close out our three-game television schedule. Potential that we could have a couple more down the line, especially if the team gets into the playoffs and it works out schedule-wise. Um, but for now, we've got the the three on the schedule, and the next one uh, will, as you mentioned, be January 9th. Nice. I am uh, I'm all for more and more CUDA <laughs> on TV as well as uh, the audio network. And give me the 30,000-foot view on the team right now, Noli. Where is everything? Well, it's been an up-and-down year, to say the least. And all of a sudden, the Barracuda find themselves at the bottom of the Pacific Division. There's 10 teams. They're at the bottom of it. Things can change, certainly in a hurry. There's there's a logjam of teams. Um, but it gives you an idea of, of where this team is at in terms of its ups and its downs. On Friday, one of the best wins of the year against the Silver Knights, a 6-1 final. Um, the following day, 24 hours later, they lose 5-1. to one. And that's just been kind of the name of the game. It's usually been flip-flopped where the team has a really rough outing in the first of back-to-backs. In fact, before Friday, they were 0-8 in those situations in the first of a back-to-back against the same team. So it was good to get off the shine in that respect. But they've been good in the second game following a loss, and that kind of completely turned on its head. They fell big in the second game. Uh, Henderson, give them credit, they had lost five in a row. Um, they came out to play. They were blocking everything. They were hitting everything. Uh, they scored early. They got momentum early, and the Barracuda just couldn't quite match it, uh, which was which was disappointing because this team has yet to win back-to-back games this year. Uh, they are now 0-6 when coming off a win. So wow. that's not a great recipe for a team that wants to reach the playoffs. The good thing is we're not even quite to the halfway point of the month of December, so we've got lots and lots of hockey to play. But for the coaching staff and the players, I think there's a little bit of frustration. I was talking to Ozzy Weisblatt post-game on Saturday uh, just about the result, and he, he just seemed a little dejected in the sense that they're doing everything they can. They're practicing hard. They're trying to have those details in their game, yet they're not necessarily getting the results. So hopefully that turns, you know, you continue to work, and hopefully that's rewarded. Um, but right now it's just an up-and-down product. So 
If they want to get to where they want to get, and that's the playoffs. They they were left out last year. There's eight teams in the division who make the playoffs out of 10. Uh, so that was a frustrating development to not make it last year. And right now, although we're early, they are outside of that playoff picture. So long way to go, but this team's got to find some consistency if they're going to be one of those teams that ends up playing beyond the regular season. Yeah, I was going to say that consistency is what is kind of been hard for me to wrap my head around because the wins are so convincing. It's like 6-1, 7-2, 5-1 as well as some other pretty solid wins. Like, it seems like the team is either completely humming along and just kind of demolishing, or otherwise they're not. Like, they're not able to find that form. Like you said, the lack of back-to-back wins. Yeah, and, and, you know, they haven't struggled scoring goals this year. I think they're in around the, you know, top third in the league in terms of goals for. They're in the bottom third, though, in goals against. Their penalty kill, it, it seemed like it was turning a corner until you go into the, the game on Saturday. I think they had killed off 11 straight over their prior three games. They go into Saturday and they give up a couple of power play goals. They're down four to nothing before they can even blink. uh, And they had no chance to get back into the game. And the penalty kill has been a a point of contention all season long. You know, it's hard if you're if you're struggling on special teams, especially on the PK, even more than power play success to be a a good hockey team. That's been an issue all year long. Um, They've had trouble on the penalty kill. The power play has started started to turn a corner. At one point, both units were, were in the bottom third in the league. The power play is creeping its way up. I think it's now more in the middle of the pack. So that's a good sign. And John McCarthy mentioned to me, especially on the power play, it's about chemistry and and continuity. And for a team that has so many new faces and a lot of young bodies as well, and guys getting used to the professional level, you know, that's going to happen, right? You're going to have some inconsistencies and you're going to have, you know, some, some nights where you're just not getting anything going. That seems to have turned a corner. The penalty kill, unfortunately, continues to struggle, though, and that was a a big issue in the loss on Saturday. So special teams-wise, they've got to clean that up. They've got to tighten up defensively. You know, they've got three goalies on their roster, and and right now it's just been a a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde performance from all three. You just don't know what you're going to get. Etu Makaniyemi is a guy who has dealt a lot of injuries over the last couple of years. He's finally back. He had a great performance about a week and a half ago, picked up his first win. Then he got the start two days later. He doesn't even last a period, allowed four goals in the mm-hmm. opening 20. And then on Friday, he was outstanding. He made a couple of humongous saves. He was he was great in the game. He picks up the win. So I think that's encouraging. Can he start to find his groove, maybe his form we saw before the Sharks traded for him uh, in that Brent Burns deal? And can these other guys, Krono, Romanov, can they start to get comfortable at the AHL level? They're still very young in their first seasons uh, in this league. Um, but there's just been inconsistencies basically at all three levels. And you know, as the season goes along, we'll see if they can tighten up and, and maybe that starts uh, equaling better results. Of those three, who do you think has given you the uh, the most uh, hope, I suppose? It's a great question because at, at various points in the year, I've I've felt, uh, you know, at different points that, you know, each one of them ha- has given us the best chance to win. Romanov, I thought, was the best goalie early. Um, he's kind of tapered off a little bit. Then Corona put together a couple of really good performances. Before he got called up to the Sharks, uh, we were in Calgary against the Wranglers, who are the top team in the division, and basically they've been carrying that torch all year. And he was outstanding uh, in a one to nothing loss, and then he got the recall. That was his best performance. He's had you know some up-and-down performances this year. And then for Makaniemi, he sat out basically a month. He started a game, then sat out a month. Uh, came back, as I mentioned, he had a great performance where he picked up a win on the road against Coachella Valley, a, a team the Barracuda prior to that win were 0-10 lifetime. He was outstanding on the road. Then he got shelved two nights later. 
Then he comes back on Friday and he was great. So for me right now, Makani Emi is probably the guy, but I've felt that way at various stages of the year with each and every goaltender. And that's, again, that's probably not a great recipe for success if you've got guys playing good at times and then at other times where, you know, it seems like that, you know, they're struggling a little bit. And that, you know, ties into everything in front of them as well. You don't want to put all the blame on the goalies, but there just has been, you know, erratic play uh, from all three levels of this team. And, and the goalies are, are, they can't shy away from it either. There's been moments where they've been great and there's been moments where they haven't been. So we'll see if, you know, the goalies can continue to build confidence as well. Let's talk about your D-men real quick. Two very high profile in uh, Mukmadulin as well as Thrun. Thrun to me, and he did this a little bit with the Sharks for a game on Sunday night, is he'll play the points. He's a better transporter the puck, it looked like to me. And I, I really like his vision, especially on the power play. And I got to see it up close and personal uh, in the middle of November in those two games I was with for you. Um, you know, how, how encouraged are you by what you see from Thrun? Because I see, again, a lot more of that, that offensive defenseman when I look at him. Yeah, it's really interesting because because he played last year in the NHL, you almost feel like he's a little bit older than he is, um, but he's not. He's he's a rookie at the professional level, despite coming in last year and playing some games with the Sharks. And he started, of course, this year up top in the NHL. And I thought we might not see him, to be honest. He, I thought he played well. I thought he asserted himself well for a kid coming right out of college into the NHL. But they sent him down to the American Hockey League. Obviously, they've they've got a little bit of, of issues on the back end in terms of who can go through waivers and avoid that uh, being on their entry-level deals. So Thrun and Mukamadulin are a couple of guys who have that ability to go up and down. Uh, and Thrun ends up coming to the AHL. I think he's had really good moments. I think he's had uh, youthful moments, to be honest. But I was talking to Scott Hannon, actually, before our telecast the other day, and he asked me about Thrun, and this was just my opinion for what I'm seeing. I've seen, uh, again, he's been good at times. The offense, you you want some more bounces to maybe go his way. You want him to build a little more confidence because he's had some really good looks to score some goals, um, and he's got just one on the year with the Barracuda, and that's not going to be his game fully, um, but you do want to see him have a little bit of touch around the net. And Hannon mentioned this to me, and he's he's a guy who certainly knows. Right. Sometimes guys are better in the NHL than they are in the AHL because the AHL at times is very erratic. Guys aren't always in the right spot. Passes aren't as crisp. Um, there's just kind of a, a, a flow that's a little bit uh, more chaotic than what you see in the NHL. I mean, it is precise in the NHL. Guys are in the right spots. Guys aren't making mistakes. Um, they know where other guys are going to be. Sure, the mistakes happen, but they're just different, right? So for a guy like Thrun, he may be a better player in the NHL because guys are more reliable. They're in the right locations. Um, and it'll be interesting. Obviously, he was recalled recently. Um, it'll be interesting if you know he ends up sticking up there for a while. Um, but it is. It's a different game at the AHL level, and sometimes it, it doesn't always mesh well with players. So uh, that's no no knock on Thrun. I think he's been good at, at times. Certainly, there's been other times where you, you see and you're like, maybe it's just the youth kind of creeping in or maybe it's the fact that the AHL at, at times is just a, an interesting league because uh, you got a lot of young players kind of learning the game and that equals mistakes and that equals uh, maybe guys being uh, on different pages. Shakir Mukmadulin, you can still see that frame getting filled out and I've talked to you about it before like the orbit of his stick out there on the ice it's pretty phenomenal to watch um, and I know that we immediately want to make the uh, the comparison to other uh, tall defenseman of hockey's past, but I still feel like when I, when I watch him, you're still watching his game develop. And I feel like, you know, his defensive game, the way he'll go dig in, the way he'll meet guys is is very interesting 
because he plays a little bit older than I think he is. And I think we also think he's older than he is just because he's such a huge person. Yeah, no question. I mean, the size is such a great attribute and he's an, an outstanding skater. I think that's the biggest thing that sticks out when you watch him play is the size and the mobility for his size. Um, you know, guys at, at that height, uh, especially kind of dangly like he is, he's still, as you alluded to, putting weight onto that frame. Um, he moves really well uh, for for that size and, and that stick and that orbit, as you uh, so eloquently noted, um, is such a such a factor for him in his style of play. His stick placement, um, the way he's starting to get more comfortable with using his body and being physical, doesn't shy away from the physicality by any means either. So um, it, it's, uh, it's a development year for him big time. And I think for the organization, they see a really valuable piece down the line and they want to allow him to have uh, the best platform and opportunity to succeed and that's why he finds himself in the ahl and for any young player getting used to this league and getting used to the culture um this is his first full season in america i mean there's a big adjustment there as well so right. you know learning the language slowly learning the style of play getting used to the the different cities and and just what the expectations are and the, and the communication between himself and the coaching staff so um you know he had a great start i felt like and then you didn't see him for a little bit. That's just the norm, really, for a lot of these young guys. But he's starting to find it a little bit. Um, again, he's now got four points in his last four games, which is a good sign because you, you hope that he puts up some points. He does have that offensive ability in his game. Um, but he's a guy that I circle as being, whenever somebody asks me, who who is impressing you? He's always a guy that's near the top of the list. Just, even if he's not putting up points, just his skating ability and, and his – his reach and his length, as you noted, um, it's extremely impressive. And you can't teach that type of stuff. So it's about rounding his game, adding weight to his frame and allowing for him to continue to get comfortable uh, in his surroundings. And, you know, he's going to be part of the future for the Sharks. I, I think there's no doubt about that. And for now, let him continue to marinate in the AHL and, and work on his game. It's been fun to watch guys like Justin Bailey and Ryan Carpenter come up and get their opportunities in terms of the forwards. But I know some people were surprised when Bailey came up that Thomas Bordalo didn't get uh, the nod. What's what's the latest on him? Yeah, Bords has been really good since he came back uh, with us. I mean, he's putting up a lot of points, which is certainly something that you want to see. But it's, you know, I think for Bordalo, it's what he's doing away from the puck that's going to be the key for him at the next level. Um, you know, just being more willing to, to be engaged um, he's never going to be a, a physically imposing player, but he's got to be crafty. Uh, we've seen lots of undersized guys succeed in the NHL, um, but they've got to do a lot of different things maybe than a, than a big body uh, would be doing out there. So he's learning what it takes to be successful away from the puck while also evolving and continuing to evolve his offensive game because that's his greatest attribute, right, is his ability to distribute the puck and score. But he's got to learn how to be a 200-foot player um, you know, you can be the best goal scorer in the world. And if you aren't taking care of your own end and doing the right things, coach doesn't trust you and you're never going to get on the ice. So I think for, for Bordalo, that was one of the biggest things coming back to the AHO was continue to evolve his game away from the puck. He certainly bought into it. I think there's no question about it. Um, he's blocking shots at a rate that, uh, he, he didn't do last year. And I don't think that's a knock on him. I think he's just bought in and he's realizing what it takes to be a pro hockey player. So he's gotten in shooting lanes, he's blocking shots, he's willing to lean into those kind of areas, put his nose over the puck and, and grind it out at times. Um, so I've been really encouraged by what Bordelow's accomplished since he's come back to the to the American Hockey League. And for him, it's about realizing the opportunity in front of him while in the AHL. And that means more minutes, more opportunities, and 
and a chance to continue to evolve his game. And he's taken it in stride. He's got a great attitude. Um, he's happy to be there. And he recognizes that for him to be an NHLer and be to where he wants to get to, and that's a full-time NHLer, it's going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight. So if he continues to have that approach, I think he's going to set himself up for long-term success. Well, Noli, I will let you go, man, but I appreciate your time as always. Keep up the great work, and I'll be bugging you again soon. All right, man? All right. Thank you, Ted. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you soon. Again, that was Nick Nolenberger, and we're out of time. Pre-game 7, game time 7.30, Sharks and Jets. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey, signing off. This podcast can be found for download under Sharks Hockey Digest on iTunes, Google, and Spotify. And on demand anytime on the Sharks Plus SAP Center app. Presented by Western Digital. All music by Yogi Yen.